know this is very unusual, but I would just like to thank all those people who've stood with us and faithfully prayed for us over the years. And um, I was prompted really by uh, Isla's. Uh, she said that they have three rules in their house. When Alan asked me to marry him over 40 years ago, he had three questions. I know that's not normally what people do when they propose to you, but he had three questions. One was that he felt that he had a call to full-time Christian work and would have to support that. The second one was that he wanted us to have an open home where people would always be welcome. And the third was um, not to let the sun go down on, on our anger. Um, and we've tried to live that and when we were asked if Alan would go full time uh, it wasn't in the context that I expected when I said yes we were part of the Methodist church and I think if I'm honest if I'd known what was play ahead I might have said no and we're run away but <laughs> I want to thank God for his faithfulness um, when we got married we were given a verse from Proverbs 3 um, which is very familiar. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. And I just want to give the glory to God that we are still standing and that we. The other thing was when the first um, Bible week that I went to, where we were invited as elders and wives to go to a, a meeting for, for such leaders, I was. I dropped the children off at the the uh, children's work and I was walking across the field at, at the Bible week and I was like, God, I don't want to go for this. I hate being, you know, in that context. And God dropped into my heart. This is an awesome privilege and a huge responsibility. And as I went into that, when Jones, who many of you will never have heard of, opened what he said with that, that we were there and that was what we had been called to. So, that was a great encouragement to me, um, and I just want to say that it's been a tremendous privilege. And many people don't stay in the same church in our context for as many years, but we've been very privileged that God has called us even to remain here, even though on many occasions we've asked Him and we've tried to move on. God said no. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to um, just really honour God and say we're here because of him. We're here because of his grace and his faithfulness, his amazing love. And I pray that we would continue to run the race of perseverance until that day when we, as we sing this morning, praise him as our living hope forever and ever. Well, that's the sermon stuffed. <laughs> but it, it, what a thrill it is to be able to stand here. And um, to, just to thank all who have just made this morning possible and all those who have been faithful down through the years. It has been a tremendous privilege. And uh, our daughters gave us a card this morning, Elizabeth and Julian, are here this morning and Elizabeth's card says this I'm not sure who deserves the most praise you or the flock for putting up with you <laughs> now of course 
when you've been here for so long, there are many things that you would like to say. So, when I was putting the sermon together, I thought, now, where do I actually start here with this? And there are people here really worried, really worried this morning. But you'll be pleased to know it's only the, the first five pages. <laughs> but, you know, it, it really is incredible to think that on the 1st of September 1989, uh, we started full-time ministry, and we're at Bible Week. That particular year down at Bilth Wells, uh, it was right at the end of the summer holidays. And there are people here this morning who were part of that week. So who was there or who was in Emmanuel going back to the 1st of September 1989? Just look around, the core of people. This is, this is fantastic. You've put up with each other all of those years. Thank you very much. And it's great to have Simon and Lynette here because I was reminded as, uh, as they came in just how many weddings I've performed over the years. And there are many people here who are actually married to the same people that I did the circle. Because I got names wrong. Didn't I, Simon? In the net, yes. You know, it really is encouraging when you welcome back the, the, the newly married couple and you get the names wrong. But then, I've got an excuse because Ray nearly married Elizabeth off to the wrong fellow when he performed, spoke at their wedding, didn't he? So, Julian, be relaxed. We know. We know. But, you know, all the, the weddings and things. But on that first particular uh, Friday in September, 1989, we're down at uh, the Biltwells Bible Week, where many thousands gathered. It was an incredible sense of excitement. And in those days, we were campers. We have now graduated to a caravan of, of, of supreme quality. And, uh, but in those days, we were camping, and uh, we had a, a love for camping. And, of course, when you're in the tents, there's not a lot you can see through the tent. You know, you can't see what, much of what is going on outside. And unknown to me, someone, and I still don't know who was responsible for this, but someone, it was, it was you, Mr. Clifford, got everyone to form a queue up outside the tent. And then did you come in and tell me? What, somebody came in and said, Yes, he said there were some people with problems or something along those lines. So I went outside. There's a photograph somewhere and we just can't find it. But you took it. Ah, oh, it's your fault. Yes. And there's this massive queue stretching out from the tent with all of these people who were claiming to have problems. And I remember Steve and Virginia Hill were in that photograph. Where's Steve? He's gone. He's getting drunk in the foyer. So, actually it was amazing how, just how many of those photographs revolved around food and drink. Have you noticed that? That's <laughs> a bit worrying altogether. But, but they had this incredible queue of people who had supposedly had problems. And, you know, it was a great time of fun. But as they began to disperse, one man came into the tent called Louis Spence. Louis Spence, and Louis Spence is part of the Newcastle congregation. Again, many of you will remember Louis. But Louis came in, and Louis started to unburden himself with this most complex of pastoral, pastoral problem. 
And you know, it's one of those moments you think, God, what is this about? I mean, I couldn't give him an answer because I didn't understand the problem. <laughs> I mean, it just went on and on. And then, in that moment, there was a moment of divine inspiration. And the answer came. And I stood and I looked Louis in the eye and said, Louis, you need to speak to Ross Clifford. <laughs> Absolutely true. I can honestly say that Louis has not had a pastoral problem since. Or he certainly hasn't related any pastoral problem to me. But it was, it was incredible. But we had a tremendous uh, time. I remember returning home. After the Bible week, we'd return home on that uh, Saturday because it was whole Bible week then. It wasn't the short weekend job that we have now. It was, you had to suffer for the full week. And uh, I remember returning home and standing at the, ha- at in, at the uh, house there, looking out the window. And I've, I've done that quite a bit over the last 30 years. And I remember thinking, this is marvelous. There was, there was nothing happening. Now, I cope very well with nothing happening. I've made a, a career of it. And standing there, I thought, this and for two weeks, the telephone didn't ring. I don't think people realized I was really there. And then after two weeks, it was as if the bubble burst. And it was just full on after that. And you've got to remember, it was the day before mobile phones. It was the day before text messages. It was the day before email. So everything really came by phone. And we got to a point where we had to have a second line installed because we, this was the church. We didn't have a church office or much to speak of at that time. So our number was the number publicized for the church. And so everything to do with Emmanuel came into our house. So we had to have a second line uh, put in in order just to cope with the amount of telephone calls we we're getting. But great times. And, you know, Sandra's also always uh, already alluded to that time when, you know, we agreed to get married. This was one slight thing she, she's got wrong. As she got down on one knee. <laughs> and of course, it, it, was, it was the days when she could actually get up. <laughs> yes. So, I, you know, I, re, I remember very early on, you know, talking through what we believed God was calling us to. And uh, I took Sandra out for uh, a meal one night. And when we finished, we put the chip papers in the bin. And, uh, you know, we're able to talk about what God had in store for us, but not realizing how God was going to do it. And I think there's a huge lesson here. You can have this sense of God calling you something, but what we want to do is to work out how he's going to do it. And this is a huge lesson for even as we stand here looking to the future. We know what God wants to do, but it's up to him how he actually does it. And then in about in 1993... The church hit a really, really uh, difficult patch, which I don't need to go into, but uh, it was a very, very hard time for us. And uh, that was January 93. 
And it was just at the time when Emmanuel College at Gateshead there was starting to look for uh, staff. And went to an open day there, had a look around, and took an application form. And I can remember sitting because we had no idea what lay ahead of us. Because as far as the church was concerned, we had no idea where we were going to be financially. We had no idea whether we were going to have a church. So I got an application form, and I can remember vividly sitting down. I can tell you exactly where I was, sitting down, filling in this application form for this job at Emmanuel College. And in all honesty, if someone had written a job description for me, short one, it would have been ideal for me. I would have uh, fitted all the criteria for that particular job. So there I was, sort of working my way through the application form, and uh, Sandra appeared at the, at the door, and she had one look, and she said this. Now, I know many ladies here meet with Sandra on a regular basis, and she's really good at asking the awkward question. And so the question was this. Has God told you to fill that in? It was a, there was nothing else. Has God asked you to fill that in? And of course, at that point, you go, oh, no, yes. <laughs> so, if you have any issues why I'm here 30 years on, it's not my fault. It really isn't. And so that was the end of that. The application form was just put at the bottom of the desk, never saw the light of day again. But what we did decide at that point, that regardless of what the, where the church was at financially, we would still be committed. We would still do the work, even though we didn't know there was going to be any money at the end of the month. But God is faithful. And so, here we are. In 1994, we think it was around about 1994 when I became sort of uh, lead elder. And the one reason I became lead elder is because we didn't have any others. <laughs> you see, God in his infinite wisdom has put, put that... We, we didn't have any others at that time. We'd gone through a really hard time. And uh, as it says in the scripture, only I was left. <laughs> so, and then... Andrew Westerman, if you remember Andrew, he, he joined the team. But in 1994, became lead elder. And many, many people here were around in 1994. So just put your hand up if you were around. And you, you've already put your hand up once. Right? That's fine. Keep your hand up if you were around. But how many people were around here in 1994 or before? It's got to be more than we're here in 1984. Very good. And I remember those times extremely well because God was just so faithful. We had an incredible journey. And uh, we had, we at that point, were meeting in the carpet factory. How many people were around in the days of the carpet factory? Yep. Great days. And then we moved from the carpet factory into the sixth form college. How many here were in the sixth form college? Glory, glory, glory. How many people have not heard of either of those at all? At all? Yay! Good to see you. And God has been adding to us down through the years. And there are two major truths which have come to me as I look back, back over 30 years. Two major things that not only we, 
learn from the past, but are absolutely vital for us to learn and to keep close to our hearts as we look to the future. Because we enjoy where God has brought us to, but we are looking forward to all that God has got for, for us. And the first one is this, and this is very much born out of what happened in 1993, where you know, we, we lost many, many members. The need for unity is paramount in any particular community of God's people. And I bleat on about this as often as I can because it is the foundational thing upon which everything else is built. You can have the most brilliant ideas, you can have the most brilliant worship, but if there is division at the heart of any community of faith, you may as well not bother with the rest because you're building upon some very iffy, difficult foundations. So Psalm 133 is very near to my heart. And is Lucy, is Lucy not here this morning? She is, is she out with the children's work? Just if anyone sees Lucy afterwards, just tell her I am not going to mention Acts 2. Just encourage her in that. I have read other bits of the Bible. So, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then we move to the end. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, life forevermore. Unity, that essential quality, if any church wants to... In fact, you know, the reality is it's essential for any group. You look at what's going on politically now. What's the issue? Division. That's the issue. Nothing can be achieved because people cannot agree. And I think this is a God-given fundamental rule of how people are to operate together, whether it be church or non-church, but even more important than church, that as we come together and we dwell together in unity, God has promised He will there bestow the blessing. And this is an incredible promise of God. It's something that comes in the light of unity is always under threat within the body of Christ. Much of the New Testament is written against the backdrop of people either causing division or being drawn away from the true gospel by others. And so Paul can write to the Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. What did Paul Paul had seen this incredible spiritual principle that unity is the foundational thing upon which everything else is built in the name of Jesus if you want to pursue the vision God has given you. There isn't another option. You will not achieve the vision God has given unless there is unity within the body. You just won't do it. It's a spiritual principle. Again, Paul writing to the Ephesians says, make every effort, that is, strive. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us to strive very often, does it? And as we talk about grace, it's one of those things, the word strive doesn't, all, doesn't sort of figure in the whole thing about grace. Because it's all to do with enjoying God's grace. And as a people, you know, one of the things that I think we have learned to do over the last 25 years is to enjoy the grace of God. I think many people who have been with us on this journey will recognize that we are in a place where we can enjoy the grace of God, a place we were not enjoying a few years ago. Those of you who know, you all sit there, yeah, we, we, we know. But we can enjoy the grace of God, 
But Paul still says, make every effort, strive to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because Paul recognizes that unity does not come automatically, but we need to actually strive, we need to work, because it means I need to sacrifice something of myself in order to be united with my brothers and sisters. There are times when we need to lay down our own agendas in order to pursue what God has given us as a community and lay hold of that and see God will give His blessing. That's, that's the, that is the reality as we pursue the vision as a united body. It does not mean there is ultimate... It does not mean we're yes people. If one thing I've learned over the years is that we don't have a church full of yes. Yes, I was going to say yes men, but that doesn't figure in this dear political correctness. Yes people, right? We just do not have that. And, you know, the question is, would you want that? Yes, God, I would want that. But that's not the way it is, is it? We come together with all our different backgrounds, with all our needs, all the rest of it. We come together, and in that agreement in Jesus, we can agree to go forward for the greater good. And that has been a wonderful thing that we have found in Emmanuel. People can express differences. We will listen to those differences. But then a decision needs to be made. And we do believe in leadership, not in democracy. But any individual can either sow seeds of division or seeds of unity. You know, it's our choice. It is our choice as individuals, the seeds we sow into this community. So are our words, words that bring division or words that bring unity? Are we seeking to build up the body or are we seeking to weaken the body? That is a decision each one of us can make. And as we look at the fruit of division, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. The fruit of division is hurt. The fruit of division is bruised lives. The fruit of division is people giving up on the church. Whereas the fruit of unity are lives that are prospering in the things of God, where we can pursue the things of God together and say, glory come to his name. So as we look to the future, my appeal is that we seek to sow seeds of unity within this body in order that we see the fulfillment of all that God has got for us. And when unity, when I speak of unity, you know, it is so important that there is unity among the senior leadership within any community of faith. You see, when we look at the scripture, the problems usually arose in scripture and arise today when leaders do not get on together. Because when leaders don't get on together, what that does, it affects every member of the church. You might not think it does, and, we, and church leaders might try to hide it, but eventually it will percolate through and affect every part of the life of the church. And one of the great joys has been that over the last 25 years, now you need to listen to this, because this is incredible really, over the last 25 years, we have not lost one elder out of bad relationship or theological differences. We've just not lost one elder under a cloud. Now, that is, a, that is absolutely amazing because you can look at churches. The church I know is over those 25 years. They've probably lost five or six elders because things have gone wrong within the eldership. Now, elders have moved on. 
Andrew Westerman moved on to take up work in Dubai. Taiwo has half moved on. He sort of moved on and comes back. He moves on and then he comes back. As you saw there, it was great to see Taiwo and Taiho. But, you know, he's gone on to, um, to gain work and looking for what God wants. But the great thing is, any of them are welcomed back as part of this community and we can press on together because they did not leave because something had gone wrong in relationship. And that is what we've enjoyed for 25 years. And I think that is why we sit here today because there's this incredible sense of unity to pursue what God has got for us uh, in the future. So when we look at the elders, we've got Ian joined the staff, now you, I hope I've got this right, in 2002 and then joined the eldership in 2004. But the incredible thing, being so old, I mean me, not him. <laughs> and Eddie, I want you to know you are forgiven. Now everybody's sitting there saying, what's he forgiven for? What's he forgiven for? <laughs> I was just talking to Eddie at the beginning of the meeting. And he said, you know, it's amazing that 30 years has passed. And I just said to Eddie, yes, Eddie. I said, I don't look old enough. And he went... (laughs) (laughs) He was stumped for words. (laughs) In fact, he said he did have words, but he wasn't sure he could put them in the right order. So that's another matter altogether. But I remember baptizing Ian in the swimming pool at, at Durham. You know, being able to look back all of those years and then to welcome Ian onto the staff 2002 and then Eldership 2004. John joined in 2008. Taiwo 2015. Keith in 2016. You're still here? And then, of course, we've got Ali, who joined in 2012. He's down at Chester Street. And then most recently, Matt, who joined in 2019 and will leave in 2020 when they go on their own. So he's going to have the shortest time with us. But it is, we have enjoyed an incredible amount of uh, unity which has released God and the Spirit to work among us. It hasn't always been easy. You know, there are those who would say, I'm awkward. There are those who will say, I'm stubborn. I I prefer to think determined is a better word. (laughs) But we don't take this for granted. We're certainly not taking anything for granted as we look to the future because as Paul says, strive, work, we're going to commit ourselves to do that but then we have a host of other people who have just served us so well down through the years many of them are out looking after our children but in every area of church life we have had a tremendous team and have a tremendous team who serve us so well and now and looking to the future but there is one among us I particularly would like to honour because uh, Jenny just give us a wave Jenny now, Jenny has served as, as, as treasurer or finance director now. Yeah, finance. Doesn't matter what we call her, she didn't get any more money. 
can call anything you like. But Jenny has served us faithfully for over 20 years. Yeah. Now, when you look at Jenny, she doesn't look old enough, does she? She was only 10 when she started. A great mathematician. But, you know, we have an incredible team who have served us for so long. And a team that has enjoyed that ongoing unity as we press in to what God has got for us. So, unity is essential. But the second lesson of 30 years, which has already been alluded to, is the fact that God is faithful. We are here today because God is faithful to His promises. God is with those who look to Him in unity, and He comes in His faithfulness and pours out His blessing. And as we read through Scripture, you know, there's Scripture after Scripture that tells us of the faithfulness of God, and time doesn't allow to look at very many. But way back in Deuteronomy, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, or praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all His ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. A faithful God who does no wrong. Psalm 36. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the sky. So the faithfulness of God is unlimitless. Yeah, limitless. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. We will never get to the end of it because it is limitless. Exactly. Thank you. Amen, brother. Preach it, brother. But, you know, we, we look at this. And what God wants us to realize is that He wants us to recognize His faithfulness in the small things of life as well as the big things of life. He is totally and utterly committed to His children individually and corporately and we experience His faithfulness day by day. Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. If we are united in heart and spirit, he has promised to bestow a blessing. Simple. The one who promised is faithful. And I can remember many, many years ago, it probably goes back to about 94, and... uh, there were a very small number of us gathering together and, you know, you just wondered what was going on. And I remember again, it was one of those moments standing at home, looking out over the garden. And for me, that's what gardens are for. They're not for working in. You just look out at them and see what's going on. And there, at the spring of the year, there, this, the daffodils started to poke through the surface. And God clearly said to me, just as they are pouring through the service, and that speaks of new growth, I'm going to give that new growth to Emmanuel. He spoke very, very clearly. And you know, when God speaks, how do we recognize? You know, people say, how do we recognize the voice of God? Simple, something changes inside. I believe that's how we recognize the voice of God. Something changes within us when God speaks. Now, it might be something changes and it's bad because we rebel. But something's changed. And God spoke to me and He said, I'm going to give Emmanuel new growth just as these bulbs are poking their way through the surface. And I believe we are here today because that that promise has been fulfilled. God is faithful. 
but we do not rest upon what we have now. God has got far more for us in these coming days. And as we look to the future, we see that there are huge challenges for us as we look towards that building across the road. How's God going to do it? No idea. Because the figures involved are ridiculous. But we have a big, big God. And He is faithful to His promise. And we believe that's what God has promised to us. So God requires unity. God is faithful. But let me just finish by talking about the Vision 400 that God has planted in my heart for what we do and see across the road there. I have seen a congregation of 400 people gathered together in vibrant worship and praise, filling that building. I've seen it in my spirit. I want to lay hold of it in God and to see God fulfill His promise of that place being full. And you know, as we come here on this 1st of September, and I think it's incredible how this has all worked out, we've got the new car park. This is the first Sunday. It was only handed over to us on Wednesday. But we've got that new car park. And you think, well, it's a car park. Yes, it's a car park, but it speaks of the vision God has given us for the future because we can accommodate all the cars needed in order for the people who come together for worship will be provided for. I believe that car park is a prophetic declaration of what God wants to do with us and in us in that building as we occupy it, as He adds people to us. It's not just a car park. It is God's gift to us, prophetically declaring what He has got for us. A congregation of 400. But, but friends, that's not the end. We're not standing here looking towards a 400 congregation as the end of what God is doing. That's another step. What's beyond that, I have no idea. But let's lay our, give ourselves to pursuing the vision God has given us for the next step. And when, I tell you what, come on, let's have the band back up. Let's have the band back up. You see that? Yeah, you see? That found out who was asleep. And you know, some things over 30 years haven't changed. Bless you, my boy. You just twiddle. <laughs> Seamless. You wouldn't think that we are amateurs. Oh, yes, you would. So, you know, when we look at the vision that God has given us, We need to give ourselves to prayer. We need to give ourselves to the big vision and see God do something miraculous within us. I have more years behind than I have ahead. But I want to use the years that are left to press on and to see the vision God has given for this community come about. Not settling for second best. Not settling for less than. But pressing on into all that he has for us.